And let me just invite uh, Charles up uh, for us. Charles is going to be preaching for us uh, today, but we'll just ask him a few questions uh, first. So, Charles, uh, first of all, uh, why don't you tell us uh, what it is that you do in the workplace um, and how it is that you're here today? Um, I work uh, for a bank not too far away from here in Canary Wharf on 10 Upper Bank Street. I work in the finance department. I'm an accountant. Uh, my job is to help our businesses uh, evaluate new decisions, new projects, or new investments to make sure that they're sound and sort of provide a bit of a control function as well to make sure that you know, we're not making the wrong decisions. So that's roughly my job. Um, I, I, because I work here... Uh, I'm also privileged to be a part of the lunchtime ministry that, you know, the barge supports. So every Thursday or Wednesday, I'll be here on the lunchtime alongside other Christian workers seeking to listen to God's word together, trying to invite colleagues um, along to that as well. So that's how I've met Callum and Marcus and that's how I'm here this morning. And uh, how is it then that you became a Christian in the first place? So I became a Christian... I grew up in a Catholic home, so I grew up knowing about Jesus. I grew up being taught by my parents about Jesus. Um, but when I went to high school, uh, a friend of mine who was... I was into boarding school in high school in Uganda. That's where I'm from, by the way. Uh, a friend of mine who was on the bunk bed next to me was a Christian, Bible-believing Christian, and he read the Bible to me. We had lots of debates and arguments about my thoughts and faith as a Catholic boy and, his, and what the Bible said, but he would just open up the Bible... And it was pretty clear to me that I was wrong and the Bible was right. And, you know, the Holy Spirit graciously convicted me um, that actually I was hardening my heart when he was opening up the word to me. And I remember one evening just lying on my bed thinking, you know, Charles, why are you hardening your heart? Uh, he, actually, my friend actually read to me from Hebrews 1, said, do not harden your heart. Um, <laughs> and I lay in bed. One evening, and the Holy Spirit just brought that to mind, and I just decided, actually, it's time to stop hardening my heart and choose to follow Jesus. Um, and who are you here with today as well? I'm here with my wife, Wendy. Um, we, we live in my land, Wendy. Uh, she's, part of, she's been part of the lunchtime ministry at Covent Garden. She's pursuing doctoral studies and based in Holborn. And your normal Sunday church, which is that? We, we are part of a St. Helens Bishop's Gate, um, right in the city. And you're quite busy serving there as well, aren't you? Yeah. Yes, I am. So Wendy and I are privileged to lead a Bible study. We lead a Bible study on Tuesday evening. And, um, and I'm also on uh, the church council. Um, and I serve as a church warden as well at St. Helens. So busy jobs, busy serving church um, as well. Yeah. How is it that you find a balance in all those things? Um, well, by God's grace, really. I mean, the Lord sustains and gives us grace and energy. I think the Lord has been helpful, you know, through the lunchtime ministries to just help us be clearer and clearer on what's really important and where our focus should be um, and why it's worth working hard. As you were saying, your labors are never in vain. That keeps us going uh, when we feel tired and discouraged. Um, that remembering that actually serving God's eternal kingdom is worth it. Um, it's the one thing that actually will never fail. So it's the one thing worth spending your energies uh, on. 
Well, thanks very much. Um, Charles is going to uh, read for us and then preach for us. Just a reminder as well that uh, if you've got uh, little ones that are too young for Sunday school and they need a a break in the service, then uh, you can head towards the stairs and there's a back room where you'll be able to still hear the sermon uh, when you go there. So do bring along your Bible and notebook as well if you're uh, going there um, and we won't be able to hear you as well. Well, Charles, over to you. Thank you. So please do turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. That's where we will be reading from, chapter 12, verse 13, on page 1049. Someone, I'm reading from verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, For one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So our theme this morning is eternal ambitions. And a question for us to think about as we consider this subject is how is eternity shaping our everyday work priorities? How is eternity shaping our everyday work priorities? Or how does eternity shape our ambition for our working life? Some of us here might have great ambitions. Maybe you want to run your own successful business. Maybe you want to become partner at your law firm. Maybe you want to become the CEO of a large organization. Or you might not even have much you are aiming for. You might be on the other scale of the spectrum. 
You might just want to be the average guy or the average woman. Put your head down, do your job, pay the mortgage or the rent, send the kids to school. Wherever you are on the spectrum of ambition, whatever work you're involved with, whatever your profession, however senior you are, Jesus' teaching has something to say to you today. And I think that we will all find that Jesus' teaching completely overturns what most of 21st century London will define as worthwhile ambitions for our working life. We're looking at chapter 12, and this sits in a section of Luke's Gospel that runs, I think, roughly from chapter 11, verse 38 to 13, verse 22. And you could sort of call it it part of Jesus' school of discipleship. And so for us as Christian disciples today, this is quite relevant for us. A lot of Jesus' teaching here has been directed towards his disciples. He's teaching them about living for God's kingdom, right from the prayer in chapter 11, verse 2, your kingdom come, to the instruction in chapter 12, verse 31, seek his kingdom. He wants his disciples to have the right perspective as they seek to live for God's eternal kingdom. And the first half of chapter 12 that we're looking at, Jesus is teaching them about how to conquer the fears that hinder their pursuit of the eternal kingdom. Verse 1 to 12, which we're not looking at, is talking about the fear of man. Fear not him who can just kill the body. Instead, fear him who can cast you into hell as well. And then our passage this morning is the fear of lack or the fear of missing out. Money and anxiety. That's our focus this morning, and how apt it is for us to consider that this Workplace Sunday. Now, obviously, when we think about our working lives, there is much more to consider than just money. But I think that working in London means that to a larger extent than most jobs, money will be at the center of our working ambitions. Whether it's how much money you make for yourself or for your firms or for your clients, whether it's how much you have in your pension when you retire. And then it could be the things that money can buy what kind of a house you live in, what kind of holiday you go on, what kind of school you send your children to. But then on the other side of the spectrum, so much of what causes us anxiety as well is linked to money. Think about the cost of living crisis, rising inflation, interest rates as well. Money and anxiety. That's our focus this morning. And I put it to you that often... Our ambitions about money and our anxieties are key factors that shape our decisions and that therefore will shape our working lives. And so it is apt for us to consider what Jesus has to say about these topics this Workplace Sunday. As we consider God's vision for his disciples in the workplace, as we consider what God thinks should shape our decisions in the working life, how apt it is to consider the teaching on money And anxiety. Verse 1 in chapter 12 tells us that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but there are thousands of people gathered and listening in. And so actually, Jesus' teaching here cuts right across all echelons of society. Wherever you place yourself in the pecking order in the office, whether you're in work or not, whatever kind of work you are involved in, this teaching is relevant for you. Now, the first thing that Jesus teaches his disciples is not to let money make a fool of us. We pick up the passage from verse 13. Turn there with me, please, right where we started. Someone in, someone in the crowd 
said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard over all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. So let's call the man in focus here investor number one. It's a most common problem that he's dealing with with Jesus here. Many of us will have heard of family troubles about the inheritance left behind, whether it's the battle about the piano, the car, the house, the farm, the paintings, or even the cutlery. And so the issue investor number one is raising to Jesus is right up our street. And we feel sorry for him when we listen to the story, don't we? His elder brother, who is in charge of the inheritance, has probably been unfair to him. Maybe this guy has made plans for the inheritance. Maybe he's, he wants to use it to start his business. Maybe he wants to use it as his retirement fund. Maybe he wants to use it for school fees for his children. And so he turns to Jesus, the judge, for help. Look at Jesus' response. Verse 14, Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's not the response we would have expected, is it? And we'll come back to this guy, investor number one, in a minute, but let's move on to investor number two in our passage. Jesus then continues to tell them a parable of a rich man. Look at verse 16 with me. And he said to them, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Another sober response from Jesus. Now, at first reading, it's easy to think this challenge to the rich fool is for the super rich in our society with excess possessions. But remember our audience whom Jesus is speaking to? It's a large crowd. It's his disciples. We're told in verse 1 that it's a large crowd that is trampling over one another, Now, we know very clearly that rich people don't trample over one another. We know also that there aren't so many thousands of rich people in any society. So Jesus here with this parable is actually addressing the everyday man or everyday woman. Jesus is addressing every single one of us here this morning. The rich man in the story, I assume he's a farmer. He has a bigger harvest than he expects. So he thinks, what shall I do? He wants to be smart. He doesn't want to flood the market and get killed on the price. So he says, I'll build larger barns so that he can manage the supply and the price, corner the market, and be set for life. What he's thinking about doing here is normal, it's logical, it's shrewd, it's smart. Any of us would want to do that if we were good investors. And many of us aspire to be that kind of guy, actually. This is the equivalent of the off-license shopkeeper who stocked up on hand sanitizer right at the beginning of lockdown. This is the family that locked in a 10-year fixed interest rate at 1% in the summer last year. This is the hedge fund manager who went long energy futures as soon as Russia was amassing troops near the border with Ukraine. Smart, shrewd, smiling all the way to the bank. We aspire to be this kind of guy. But God's verdict is two words. 
Actually, it's one word, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Imagine you went to his funeral. The epitaph on his tombstone etched by God. Herein lies John Doe, a fool. Not wicked. Maybe he was decent and he paid his taxes. Not a fraudster. Maybe he followed all the billing regulations. Maybe he followed all the compliance rules, all the laws. There's nothing in the passage to suggest he's cheated anyone. Maybe he was good to his family. He was a good husband. Maybe he was respected by his colleagues at work. Maybe he was even hailed as a mentor for those who want to know how to shape their career and be successful at their work. Not wicked, not evil, but a fool. It's piercing, isn't it, this verdict, especially for a culture like ours that prizes intellect. And I reckon many in our offices or in our communities would rather prefer to be called wicked than to be thought of as stupid. But Jesus says, verse 21, so is the one who lays treasure up for himself but is not rich towards God. A fool. Why? Why such a strong verdict? Two things he gets wrong. Firstly, he lived as though he was in charge. Look at verse 17. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I wonder whether you noticed the emphasis. I, 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 my, 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 I, my. Maybe you could forgive him for saying my barns. My grains, my goods, my salary, my savings, my house, my pension. Then he goes on to say, my soul. And then God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? His soul is taken from him by force. He has no say in the matter. And it is taken by surprise. He has no say on the timing. Mistake number one, he lived as though he was in charge of his life. Mistake number two, he lived only for this present life. Verse 19, he says to his soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, be merry. And herein exposes the heart of his problem. He thinks that the chief aim of his existence is to satisfy physical needs. His sole ambition in life was to satisfy physical needs and amass wealth for himself. He thinks he's secure, but notice he says it to his soul, not to his body. What did he think his soul could do with goods? Could he feed his soul with wine or with steak? Listen to the words of a commentator, Matthew Henry, on this. It was the greatest folly of all to say this to his soul. If he had said, body, Take for thine ease, for you have goods laid up for many years. Maybe there would have been sense in it. But the soul has, was no way interested in a barn full of corn or a bag full of gold. If he had the soul of a swine, he might have blessed it with the satisfaction of eating and drinking. It is the great absurdity of which this world is guilty of, that they portion their souls in the wealth of the world and the pleasures of sense. Imagine that he says to his soul, relax, eat, drink, be merry. What could he possibly give his soul that was physical? 
and saw the words and warning of Jesus to the crowd, to the everyday man and woman listening in, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Lesson number one, as we consider our ambitions for working life, don't let money make a fool of you. Now we come back to investor number one, whom we skipped over very quickly. Remember, the rich fool we've just been talking about is in a parable. He's not a real guy. He doesn't really exist. It's a parable, and Jesus is teaching the crowds a principle. It's the man, investor number one, who is asking about the inheritance. He is the one who is at risk of being a fool. Context will help us. Jesus has been teaching about judgment, eternity, heaven and hell, the kingdom of God. Verse 5, fear not the one who can kill, but the one who can cast into hell. Verse 9, the one who denies me will be denied before the angels of God. Chapter 11, the children of Nineveh will rise up against this generation in the judgment. Verse 1 of chapter 12, there's a large crowd of people gathered to listen to Jesus and his teaching about eternity. This guy, investor number one, gets a chance to ask a question in the thousands of people who are gathered. And the one thing he asks Jesus for is things of this world. Maybe he thought Jesus was a judge and he might be able to judge over him and his brother. But Jesus is concerned about eternity. Investor number one, he is concerned about this life. And so the warning, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So as we think about our ambitions for work and life, we do well to hear the warning. Don't let money make a fool of you. How easily each and every one of us here could be investor number one. This kind of thinking, it creeps up on us. Ever so gradually, the things that those around us are living for become the priority of our lives. You might even have been such a great focused guy at university thinking about the gospel, no cares about money in the world. You join the workplace five years into your working life. The priorities are beginning to shift a little bit. Career, ambitions, money are becoming the focus. Ten years on, completely by the buy side. All that's on your mind is about progressing up the ladder. No focus on the eternal kingdom. Drawn in by the false sense of security and company that money, com- and the comfort that money provides. But the thing is, money comforts us only for a short while because we are not immortal, and one day we will give an account. I mean, what a shame it would be to be thought of as a smart investor, a smart fund manager, a successful businessman, an astute public servant, the man or woman who runs the best building merchants in town. You have the nicest apartment on the block, but then the day you die, God leans over, gets his engraving pen on your tombstone. One word, fool. Take care, Jesus says, and be on your guard. Be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Don't let money make a fool of you. Now, the parable here is a challenge to those who have not made any attempt to consider Jesus or put their trust in him for eternity, but it is also a helpful tonic for those who would call themselves disciples of Jesus. 
Because in verse 22, Jesus immediately turns and applies it to his disciples. Look at verse 22 with me. He turned to his disciples and said, Therefore, as a direct application of this parable of the rich fool, he turns to his disciples and says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Three priorities he gives his disciples as an application of this story. First, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor your body, about what you will put on. Skip down to verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. So Jesus is not saying, don't go grocery shopping. But what he's saying is, don't let the pursuits of earthly things become the top priority of your life. Don't let this be the main thing that you are seeking for. Priority number one, do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink. The nations of the world seek after these things. Number two, seek instead, verse 31, instead seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And priority number three, verse 33, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, when no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Change your investment strategy to an eternal one. That's what Jesus is calling to remember. He says, sell your possessions. Possessions in the first century were how people stored their wealth. They didn't have savings accounts or investment plans. And so you can think of possessions as investments. Jesus is saying, swap your earthly investments for eternal ones. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. It does not fail like the rich man's barns and crops, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. I know of a preacher who once said, maybe as a disciple of Christ, it's about time to teach your wallet a lesson about what you are really, really living for. Are you living for this world and amassing wealth or for eternity? Sell your possessions, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. These three priorities are how you can live as a disciple of Jesus. And actually, they are just one priority if you think about it. Seek God's eternal kingdom. Verse 31. Make it your governing priority to pursue what will count in eternity. It's the counter-opposite to the rich fool. Just like the nations, he was busy, 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 busying himself, thinking about food and drink and earthly things. His ambition was to amass wealth, and he had no regard for eternity. Jesus wants us as his disciples to have a much higher ambition, to aim for God's eternal kingdom. But there are two dangers that we will always face, money and anxieties. The fear of not having surplus wealth like those around us and the fears brought about by everyday anxieties. These two challenges or hazards will be the reasons we are distracted from earthly ambitions. Now, Jesus has helpfully warned us against the first. And now in verse 24, he gives us three priorities or perspectives that help us curb our anxieties. Verse 24 Consider the birds. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouses nor barns. The rich man, on the other hand, he had a plentiful harvest. He had storehouses and barns. 
The birds have neither, but God feeds them. No pension, no investment plan, no savings account. And Jesus' teaching to his disciples is, of how much more value are you than the birds? Do not be anxious. Your father cares for you. Verse 25, consider your lifespan. Can you, by being anxious, add a single hour to your lifespan? In other words, can you even control your life? The rich man, he thought that he had plenty of years to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But this night, it was his time. Jesus says, actually, you cannot control a simple thing as that. Therefore, do not be anxious about it. Your life isn't in your hands. Do not be anxious Consider the lilies as they grow. They neither toil nor spin, verse 27. But Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon was perhaps one of Israel's greatest and most glorious kings. But Jesus says he wasn't clothed or arrayed like one of these lilies, which is, gone to, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Now, you might think that's an exaggeration. I have the privilege of having joined my wife at Covent Garden Flower Market at 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Go and take a look and you will see that Jesus is not exaggerating. Look at the lilies. They are arrayed much more gloriously than Solomon. But the point really is in verse 28. They are clothing the grass that is here today and gone tomorrow. They are fading, they are passing away. But yet God looks after them so gloriously. Of how much more value are you than the lilies? Do not be anxious. Yes, anxieties are real, but do not let them govern or direct your life. The increased cost of living, mortgage rates, school fees, your grades, what the impact of the recent Church of England House of Bishops decisions might mean for this congregation and many other similar parishes. Do not be anxious. Your health, your parents, do not be anxious. Losing your job or struggling to find another one, a stalling career when everybody else seems to be soaring, do not be anxious. You might be anxious in this month or the next few months about what your bonus will be. Do not be anxious. Maybe what your performance appraiser will say, do not be anxious. For the nations of this world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Do not be anxious. If you feel anxious, look at the birds. If you feel anxious, look at the flowers. Helpful lessons for us. You can stand maybe on your flat. If you can find a tree, look at the birds going about almost without a care in the world. But God looks after them. Are you of not more value than the birds? Don't let anxieties be the shaping priority of your life. How reassuring it is as we seek to live for God's kingdom, that God promises to look after us, do not be anxious. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. What do we take away as we wrap up? The one thing I think for all of us this morning, as we consider our ambition for the workplace, is to think about Jesus' incredible focus on eternity. The question we asked ourselves at the beginning, how does eternity shape our ambition for the working life? On the one hand, money and anxieties will press us to earthly ambitions, 
but Jesus wants us to have heavenly ones. I wonder whether you noticed it. If you didn't, it's worth pointing out. To investor number one, the warning, your life, your life, your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. To the anxious disciple, your life, your life again, is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Jesus wants your life and is telling you what your life is really worth. It's more than the abundance of possessions and it's more than just food and clothing. Therefore, aim for eternal life. Whether you are troubled by the anxieties of life, seek first God's eternal kingdom. Whether your life is lived on the gravy train of earthly surplus, seek first God's kingdom. For your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. This should be the defining priority of our lives. There is more to life than just this world, and actually God will also look after your life. How reassuring. So, what will it look like for everyday decisions? It will be different for each and every one of us. Why not discuss it over lunch? I understand today is a bring and share lunch. Why not talk about this over lunch? How will an eternal perspective change one decision you have this month? One decision you have this month or one decision you have this week? How will an eternal perspective change or shape that decision? Maybe there's areas in your life that need a little bit of a refocus. How will an eternal perspective impact your diary? We've been thinking about lunchtime talks. I know all of us are busy at our jobs, but how will living for eternity prioritize what it means to live and speak for Jesus in the workplace? What will it mean for your prayer life? What are the things you'll be praying for? I heard a preacher once say that the one way to know the things that people value is the things they pray and desire for their children. What will you be praying for your children? this week or this month? Will it be for things that are passing away or things that are eternal? What will it mean for the things that we value, the things that we espouse? Will we give, look at value only on the things in this world? Will we value success above godliness? What will we value? What will it mean for how you use your money? What will it mean for the choice of your next job? What will it mean for you on the dark day of anxieties? Do not be anxious. The Father will look after you. Now, if you're not able to stay for lunch and not able to chat more, I'll remind you of what I think is right at the heart of today's thing. Jesus is focused on eternity and eternal life. And so actually to the homeless man outside your office building or outside your apartment block, Jesus will say, do not be anxious. Seek first God's kingdom. To the CEO of your, of your office or the head partner, Jesus will say, seek first God's kingdom. Don't let money make a fool of you. And to everybody in the middle, the whole crowd of thousands of people gathered together, Jesus will say, seek first God's kingdom. Don't let money make a fool of you. And don't let anxieties shape your priorities. Be singular focused, O disciple of Christ, in all your ambitions for your working life and your time. This is what real success will look like in Jesus' eyes. Let me finish by reading the last verses and then I will pray as we wrap up. And you can turn there with me, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, 
it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and how he teaches us so purposefully. Thank you for exposing the folly of living with an eye only for this world. Thank you for reminding us of your commitment to care for our needs. And thank you for your promise and pleasure to give us an eternal kingdom. And so I pray this morning for those of us who may be burdened by real anxieties. Please help us remember that we have more value to you than the birds and than the flowers. I also pray for all of us here, for those of us who are just about to start our working life, for those of us just figuring out what ambitions should shape our lives, and for those of us who need to reassess what we've been living for, please help us all do one thing. Seek first your eternal kingdom. Confident that our life is more than our basic needs, nor does it consist in the abundance of our possessions. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.